Philippi, uh, we're talking about walking with Jesus, and we're thinking about how beautiful a world that it will be when the people who say they're followers of Jesus really live like Jesus, really act like Jesus, and you know, kind of how does that work anyway? How does that work? So that's, what we're, that's kind of what we're talking about in this series of messages, and that is, what a beautiful idea that the people who say they're followers of Jesus would really live like Jesus, would really be like Jesus. And just think about that just for a minute. What if all around the world, all over the world, were hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, even millions of people who dedicated themselves to living like Jesus, to walking with Jesus, to being like Jesus? What a wonderful thing that would be. Well, the Bible actually teaches us how that works, and we're talking about that in this series of messages, Walk With Me. It's how our church is kind of organized and functions. The, the Come, Grow, Serve that you see right there, you know, Come stands for coming to church. That's the weekly assembly. Grow stands for being in a smaller group. Like, Come is like rows, and Grow is like a circle, and Serve is like going out and being like Jesus and obeying the commands of Jesus, because what we're doing here is we are making, we are being followers of Jesus, and we're making other followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus said to do there in what's called the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. He kind of didn't leave us in the dark about how to do it. He actually taught us how to do that. Now, years ago, my son, my oldest son, wanted to learn fly fishing, and fly fishing is not easy to learn. There's kind of a learning curve, and there's a lot of expensive equipment that you really have to buy, you know, and there are all kinds of books to read about it and all kinds of videos you can watch about it, but my my son wanted to learn this fly fishing, and so he'd read some books and he'd seen some videos, but he was looking for a mentor. He was looking for somebody that could actually show him, and we discovered this guy whose name was Wes Cooper, and Wes Cooper was a believer. He's a retired school teacher, and he was a famous builder of bamboo fly rods. Somebody said, go over to Wes Cooper's house and I said to Kyle, I said, when we go to Wes Cooper's house, you know, he's a teacher. And teachers love to impart stuff to you. And so take a little book, and when he says something, write it in your book. And that night, we went over to Wes Cooper's house, and both of us had, I still have mine, had a little tiny book, a little pocket notebook. And whatever Wes Cooper would say, we would just write it in the notebook, even if we didn't understand it. You know, we would write it, and it kind of drew him out. After a while, he said, well, it'll come with me. And he goes out in the garage and gets a fly rod. He goes out in the yard. He starts casting. He's showing Kyle, you know, the, the 10 and 2 thing and, and how to cast. And then after a while, he says, well, you can meet me on Tuesday night on the Muskegon River. And I'm going to show you a couple of my favorite fishing spots. You know a guy's a real Christian if he's showing you his favorite fishing spot. And so he takes us to Carmichael Flats. He takes us to Rainbow Rapids. And we actually wade out into the river. And there's something about feeling, you know, the cold of the river running against your legs and your waders and looking down and seeing the beauty of the rocks. And, you know, the places where trout live have to be really clean and pure. And Michigan's full of trout streams that are pure and that are clean. You can see through the water. You can see the trout. Sometimes when the salmon run, you can see the salmon in the water. It's an amazing thing. Wes Cooper didn't say to Kyle, meet me at Starbucks and I will draw you some pictures and I'll give you some notes on how to be a fly fisherman. Wes Cooper said, meet me at the river, and we're going to wade in the river, and we're going to get our waders wet, and we're going to actually maybe make some mistakes. We're going to learn to fish by doing it. Now, this is what Jesus really said when people were saying, well, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a learner. 
Here's the command that Jesus gave that we're going to talk about today. Follow me. Follow me. I just love that. If you think about that's so interesting and so profound. Jesus didn't say to his disciples right away, sit down because there are some lessons I want you to learn. I need you to write some things down on paper. That's not what he said first, right? He didn't do that. He didn't say, you might make a note of this if you're a teacher, you know, he didn't say this is what's going to be on the test. There's no record at all in the entire Bible that Jesus ever said those words. This is going to be on the test. Oh, I'm not saying that isn't right to do. But he didn't do it that way. What Jesus said was, here, come with me. That's what he said. Follow me. People that have studied, like, the teaching methods of Jesus, the discipleship methods of Jesus, how do you become like Jesus? How can, how can the thousands of people, the millions of people in the world who say they're followers of Jesus really be like Jesus? They've got to follow him. They've got to go where he goes. They've got to do what he does. They've got to say what he says. His mission's got to be their mission. It's like what we have to do is we have to turn really away from what we initially thought we were going to do, and we want to be little, little, little copiers of Jesus. And I have a pastor friend. Now, this isn't how I would say it, but I have a pastor friend, and sometimes when he's talking, he'll talk about something that a Christian does that's really not very Christ-like, and he'll say it like this, that wasn't really very Jesus-y of you. In our home sometimes when the kids, back when the kids were growing up, and they got along pretty well, they really did. Mom and dad got along pretty well most of the time too. But every once in a while mom and dad get, get along, and every once in a while, that's because Lois just doesn't do everything I say to do immediately when I tell her to do it, you know. And, and so we didn't go, I don't do exactly what she says immediately when she tells me to do it, and we don't get along. And then, is it like that with you guys? And, and, and the kids, sometimes they wouldn't get along. And so if, if Lois and I were getting along, and I was taking the high road, and say the kids weren't getting along, here's what I might say to them. I might say to them, which one of you wants to be like Jesus first? Who want, yeah, they would react just like you did. they just look at you like, oh, that's not fair. That's kind of like hitting below the belt. Who wants to be like Jesus first? This is a great thing. Who wants to be first to be like Jesus? Who, hey, I say to the kids sometimes, who wants to be a leader here? So I say, oh, I want to be good. You be the first one to be like Jesus. Won't that be great? And then everybody's, you know, really quiet. How, what, so, so what is this thing about following Jesus? It's like, well, it's, it's mimicking Jesus. Of course, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, but it's going where he would go. It's doing what he would do. It's saying what he would say. It's adopting his mission as your mission. When you think about that, just thinking about that, it kind of puts a warm spot in your heart. You know what Jesus was like. He was kind. He was loving. He called sinners to repentance, to turn from their sin, right? The, Jesus said to some of his disciples who happened to be fishermen, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, we're going to go catch men, men and women, and they're going to be followers. Jesus, the Bible says, he went about doing good. He found people that were sad, and he encouraged them. He saw little kids that needed blessing, and he blessed them. He saw people that were demon-possessed. He delivered them. He saw people that were sick. He healed them. And to the best of our ability, our God-given ability, following Jesus means I go around doing what Jesus would do. I go around saying what Jesus would say. I take the mission of Jesus as my mission. 
That's, what, that's how you become like Jesus. That's one of the ways you become like Jesus, by following him. Now, there's some passages of Scripture. There are many of them about this, but I'll just show you a couple today. So you want to take your Bible, and, and basically two passages of Scripture. One is in Luke 9. The other one later on is going to be in Matthew 10. And we're going to see them just kind of briefly and, and just see what this was some, some commissioning that Jesus gave to the 12 when he sent them out to be like him. And, and we can kind of learn that, learn some things about him that way. So just in a little, little brief passage in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, notice this what Jesus said, Luke 9, 23. Then he said uh, to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, you ever notice that when, when Jesus said follow me, he often attached that little extra phrase to it. Take up your cross and follow me. We'll get to that in a minute. But right now, yeah, that's right. We'll get to that in a minute. But right now, we'll, just, uh, we'll stay here and we'll think about this whole, whole thing. Whoever desires, verse 24, to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus said, deny yourself. And he said, then if you des- desire to keep your life, you'll lose it. But if you lay, lay down your life, you'll save it. So in, in a sense, what Jesus is saying is, you had a mission that you were on. And what I want you to do is I want you to set that mission aside. And I want you to follow my mission now. I want you to do what I was doing. Not what you were thinking about doing, but I want you to set aside what you were thinking about doing, and I want you to do what I am doing. And, and, and in that way, you're denying yourself. Then verse 25, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, and he himself is destroyed or lost? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's with the holy angels. Now, let's skip forward and notice something more that he said in verse 57 of the same chapter. This is Luke 9, 57. Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man, me, I have nowhere to lay my head. I have nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. He said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but if you go, you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Notice these, these things. You've got three, three that you're going to notice. But the first one is this. If you want to be like Jesus, follow him. That is, go where he goes, say what he says, do what he does, right? Take his mission as your mission. And he said, the Bible says about Jesus that he didn't have any place to lay his head at night. I have a symbolic item in the trunk of my car. You know how old people, this is how you know if you're old, you have Kleenex, and you have an umbrella in the back window of your car. If you don't want to be thought of as old, go get the Kleenex and the umbrella out of the back window of your car. Just old people do that, right? Or, or there's the backslider. His Bible is in the back window of his car, curling up, sun-faded. It's like he just throws it in the back window of his car. You ever see that? You know that person is kind of a plebe. You know, they're, they're not really a growing Christian. The back Bible should not be in the back window of your car. But I digress. Here's the item that I have in my trunk. It's symbolic. It's actually a practical item, but I put it in my trunk mostly as a symbolic thing. And it reminds me of a guy that I know 
who's now with the Lord, who was such a follower of Jesus. He was such a magnetic, joyful, just a powerful... This guy's name was Ed Lewis. And I met Ed Lewis because we both sold cemetery property at the same company. That was, a, that was kind of my dark, shady past back then. And, and Ed was really good at that, man. And he was a school teacher, and he became a missionary, and then he became a missionary leader, and then he became one of the greatest missionaries I have ever met, one of the, just the sharpest guys. He went, be, before, he went behind the Iron Curtain frequently. He came out. He had all kinds of stories to tell about Bible distribution. And he was the kind of guy that just would go serve the Lord. And it wasn't about how much money he made. It wasn't about how famous he was. That guy was just fired up about serving the Lord. And I was pastoring a little church in Ohio. And I wanted him to come and speak, but we had a, we had a limited budget. And he sensed that we had a limited budget. And I remember that what he said was, Ken, let me just ask you, this is the question I need to know about you. Do you have a place on the floor where I can unroll my sleeping bag? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he goes, okay, that's all I need, man. If you've got a place on your floor, do you remember that, Lewis, where I can unroll my... So Ed Lewis came, and he literally unrolled a sleeping bag on the basement. Matter of fact, that's where I met your parents uh, first, in that very same place. Um, the Lounsbury's came as missionaries. They, did, they actually had a bed. But Ed, he slept on the floor in a sleeping bag, unrolled a sleeping bag on the floor, and then we stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning just talking about the things of the Lord and not many years ago, he won Alumnus of the Year at Cornerstone University. And he lived in the Chicago area. And on the way home, his car slid off the road. He got out of his car, and another car slid off the road, and it killed him. And he went to heaven that night. But I always remember that Ed Lewis was a guy who said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm not going to follow him for money. I'm not going to follow him for a soft place to lay down my head at night. I got a, I got a sleeping bag, and all I need is a flat place to put my sleeping bag. I have what they call a wiggy bag, and it's in a ball. It's a really good sleeping bag. You can, you can, you can sleep out in the cold in this particular bag, and, I, and it crunches together, and, I, and it's in the trunk of my car. And this week, I had occasion to get my sleeping bag out of the trunk of my car. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head, just a, you know, sometimes a flat place for his sleeping bag, if you will. And we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to go on the mission that he's on. We want to be willing to do what he did. And it, starts, and it can start with something really small. As a matter of fact, in the passage we're going to look at in a minute, in Matthew chapter 10, it's a, a, the passage in Matthew chapter 10 you're going to see is a passage about being willing to make great sacrifice. But when you get to the end of chapter 10, in verse 42, and he's talking a little bit about the reward that he gives to people who follow him, he says, start by giving a cup of cold water in my name. Who in the world can't give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? I love that about the Lord. It's like he didn't start it out hard, you know, with a lot of hard things. He said, follow me. All right, let's give away some cold water now. And if you just start by following him, loving people, listening to people, giving out cold water, calling people to repentance from their sin unto life in God, then you have the mission of Jesus Christ and you can move on to bigger things and you naturally will move on to bigger things. Now here's the, here's the catch you need to understand though. Because that little phrase that Jesus often put with following him was, if you want to you know, follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10 now. And I want you to notice it, or you can just follow along as I read, but in Matthew chapter 10, years ago, I was pastoring, a, I was starting a church, it was a tiny little church, met in a Grange Hall, and everything was hard, everything was hard. I mean, getting hymn books was hard, 
It was expensive. It was difficult. Getting chairs, chairs that matched, was hard. Getting the hall heated was hard. You know, getting the hall at all, we had to pray. And I remember driving my car a number of different places and praying for a place to meet until finally God gave us a place where we could meet. I remember standing in the, remember the Grange Hall, Lois? I remember standing in the parking lot of the Grange Hall out on Tucker Road and praying, God, would you give us this building so that we could gather our people together and we could meet here? And I was driving through town one day, and I was just, we're just scratching out just the, the, just the least little existence as a church. And eventually I had about 135 people in that church. And, but, but it was just hard going. And one day I was driving through town past a church that doesn't preach the gospel. It's a big, fancy church in town that got real liberal and doesn't explain how to, go, how to, to people how to get to heaven, didn't believe the Bible, didn't believe that Jesus was virgin-born, you know, church that believes in abortion and stuff like that, you know, just God-forsaken kind of a church. But they had an organ. Matter of fact, they had the best organ in town. They had such a beautiful organ that they had an organ renovation project, and the newspaper said that those people at that church that don't preach the gospel were spending $100,000 to renovate an organ to play in a church that doesn't preach the gospel. I'd rather have a hillbilly with a guitar that preaches the gospel than a $100,000 organ. Or a $100,000 organ and preaching the gospel. That's fine, too. I'm just saying, but I was discouraged. And every time I would drive by that church, and I would think, God... They have $100,000 to waste on an organ, and they don't even preach the gospel. And I'm on my way out to the grain hall with the folding chairs that we have to turn the heat on the night before, and I'm the janitor, you know. Why? And I started feeling bad for myself. And sometimes when you start feeling bad for yourself, you might not continue to obey the Lord. And then God showed me this passage of Scripture about what happens when you follow the Lord. So this is the passage where Jesus is sending his closest disciples, his apostles, he's sending them out. And there he's making them some promises. And these are the promises that he makes. I'll read through them quickly. We'll go to the passages. He gave them no promise of wealth, no assurance of acceptance, no guarantee of safety from suffering, no prospect of honor, no offer of peace, no immunity from betrayal, and no certainty of life itself. That's the promises that Jesus said, follow me, and that's what you can expect. Follow me, and it's going to be very hard. Matter of fact, you understand, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he hadn't, I mean, right, you know, he hadn't died on the cross yet, right? So what did that make people think? Did it make them think of his cross? No. It just made them think of Roman crucifixion, which was horrific. They would strip the clothes off people, and in a public thoroughfare close by, they would slowly torture them to death on, on this cross. And they would die naked, ashamed, in, and exposed to the elements over many, maybe hours of time, perhaps days of time, when Jesus would say, I want you to follow me, and you're going to have to carry your cross, they would see people carrying their cross were going to go to their own torture execution. So Jesus was not making big, flowery promises to those who would follow him. Jesus was saying, follow me. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And so you notice these things. There's no promise of wealth, he said in chapter 10 and verse 9, provide neither gold or silver or copper or money belts. This isn't about money. Verse 14, no assurance of acceptance. Whoever will not receive you or hear your words when you depart from that city, shake off the dust from your feet. You can expect that people are going to reject you. So go, and you're not going to make money, and some people are going to reject you. No guarantee of safety from suffering. Verse 17, beware of men. They will deliver you to councils. They will scourge you in their synagogue. This is a horrible way to torture people. 
That's what he said. Now, now go, go, follow me, go. That's what he said. Verses 24 and 25, no prospect of honor. Sometimes we'll do things that we have to sacrifice for as long as people really look up to us. But he said that's not what's going to happen. Verse 24, a disciple's not above his teacher or a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And if they call me, the, if they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? In other words, no prospect of honor. No offer of peace. Look at verse 34. Don't think that I came to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. In other words, there's going to be tension. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be people who misunderstand if you follow me, right? That's the way it is. And then no immunity from betrayal. Verse 36 says a man's enemies will be those of his own household. In verse 22, it says you'll be hated by all men for my name's sake, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. No certainty of life itself. Verses 38 and 39, he who doesn't take his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. You have to follow Jesus. You have to make up your mind that it is so valuable that you're willing to die. To follow Jesus is no kind of light, little like stroll on a beach. Following Jesus, to follow him, you have to be willing to suffer and die. In this particular passage, this rendering says, take up your cross daily. There is a sense in which you don't just, oh, you don't just go die once. You actually have to keep on day after day after day subjecting yourself uh, to, to this hardship. Now, Dr. Charles Ware uh, was an African-American guy who uh, was raised in Indianapolis, and, uh, and he uh, was an athlete. And uh, Charles Ware was a, was a good athlete when he was in high school, and he was far from God. And uh, he played on a football team. He was really good on a football team. And, but, but, but there was something wrong, something empty, uh, something missing, you know, in his life. And then when somebody explained the gospel to him, Charles Ware got saved. And when he got saved, he was so fired up, you know. He was a highly disciplined athlete. I mean, you know, they had three a days at the beginning of the season, and then they had rigorous practices, and the coach demanded a lot of them. Now he was going to be a follower of Jesus, and he was ready to throw the same kind of energy into his following Jesus that he threw into his football, and he went to the church. And at the church, they, he said, okay, well, I'm, I'm a Christian now, so um, what do I do? And they looked at him, and they said, well, you go down in the basement now. And he goes, Why? And they said, that's where the young people are. They're down in the basement. He said, okay. So down the basement he goes. Now, when he got down to the basement, this is what he said. At the state teen rally in Grand Rapids a few years ago, I heard him tell this story. He said, when they got down to the basement, the kids had a bat. And he said, they were like going around. Remember this game you play when you're having fun? You go around the circle in a bat, and then you try not to fall over. And then he said, there was another game where you balance a bat on the end of your nose. And, you know, I wish I could say it in his special African-American way he said it. But i never forget at the state teen rally, he said, after a few weeks of that, he said, I'm like, what's the guy got to do to get some Bible study around here? Go to the ladies' missionary fellowship or something? He said, when I played football, you know, they demanded stuff of you. When I went to church, they just played little games with you. Now, you know, that's not the way to say it. We do things that are fun. We're trying to train our young people to serve the Lord, to be followers of Jesus. And we're trying to train you, we're trying to be followers of Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a game. It's something that we expect is not going to be a life of ease. So here's the deal. You want to be like Jesus, you follow him. But you got, when you follow him, you've got to realize, here's a simple way of saying it. 
When you follow Jesus, you don't follow him for him to endorse all the stuff you want to do. You follow him on his mission, right? And you don't expect a life of ease. It's just that simple. That's what I'm saying. So we got like three points. One is follow him. The other is take up your cross. Be prepared to suffer, right? Now, now the third thing that is important for us to say, and that is you can trust him then for a fulfilling life. You can trust him for a fulfilling life. Well, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, if I'm going to set aside my mission and my desire and what I wanted to do, and I'm going to do what Jesus wanted me to do, and I might even die, and I might have to suffer, what about that pursuit of happiness? And I see, that's the whole thing. That's what Jesus is actually saying. He's actually saying the way you thought to be happy was not the right way of happiness. The real way of happiness is to bury yourself in my mission. It's to follow my mission. It's to follow me, to trust me. That's why it says in Luke chapter 9 there, in verses 24 and 25, in a passage back in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 24 and 25, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, if you want to have a life, you want to lay down your life in the cause of Christ. If you want to really have a fulfilling life, if you want to really have a satisfying life, you have to have this, a significant life, a meaningful life. And the most significant, most meaningful life is the life where you follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. And I notice I looked at these three things. Here's what happens when you trust him. You know, you take up your cross and you follow him. Then you have the power of God in your life. That's one of the things that makes it meaningful. You have the power of God in your life. In, back in, in uh, Matthew and chapter uh, 10, to cut back to Matthew chapter 10, all of that passage is talking about the things you can expect to happen when you follow Jesus, and they don't really sound good. But they start with this. He called the 12 disciples to him, and he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Look at verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Now, I don't want to go into a long detail on this, but here's what I believe that the Bible teaches that there are special, unique periods of time when God gave unique, miraculous sign gifts for people to confirm that their message was the apostolic message. But listen, that's not the case today. We're not in one of those periods. But we are in a time when people can have the influence and the power of God on their life to help other people. The Bible calls that virtue. It's like when a person has this goodness that's given to them by God that influences other people. It's like what you bring in the room when you come in the room and what lingers in the room after you leave the room. A believer that's a follower of Jesus, he, he says, she says, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to be willing to suffer and not expect a life of ease. And I can expect that my life will have a kind of fragrance about it, a kind of influence about it. That's really exciting to me. You can have a life of influence. You can have the power of God on your life. You can influence other people for eternity if you're a follower of Jesus and you're willing to suffer. If you're a follower of Jesus and you realize that you don't follow Jesus for a life of ease, then you can have an impact, influence on other people. The Bible says there, Jesus says a little bit later on, he says, don't be, you know, they came back and they were all excited because the demons were subject to them, which would be kind of fun, you know, right? And they were coming back, they were talking about that, and Jesus says to them, don't be excited about the fact that the demons are subject to you. Just be glad your names are written in heaven. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Hey, my name's written in heaven. It doesn't get better than that. I'm, my name is already written in heaven. It doesn't get any better than that. Get it? That's the thing we should rejoice over, that we can know that we're born again. Followers of Jesus then are on the mission of Jesus. We don't expect a life of ease, 
but we can look forward to a life of influence. I just love that. Uh, this weekend, I'm, I spoke at Lake Ann, and my son and I worked together. Kyle's speaking right now, finishing up up there. I drove back through the night last night, listening to the radio, listening to the Cubs win and stuff. And then I was listening to the radio, and then uh, got here uh, early in the morning. But I was up there at Lake Ann. When we got to Lake Ann, they had this gorgeous welcome center at Lake Ann, just a beautiful building, and has a fireplace in it, you know. And I'm like, hey, Kyle, you got to see this. And so we walk up, it's kind of rustic and beautiful, and, you know, it was just gorgeous up in Traverse City this weekend. The leaves were just brilliant, just uh, cool in the air, and we walk into the Welcome Center, and there, I don't know if I told you this, Lewis, sitting on the couch in the Welcome Center was Jamie Holcomb and his son, who was actually taller than him. Jamie Holcomb surprised me. Jamie Holcomb was in our church in Fremont. His wife, Melissa, graduated from Moody Bible Institute. I married them. They're crazy. They had an outdoor wedding, and then they, they went to the reception in the bucket of a front-end loader. They're crazy. Fun people. They had a baseball, remember this? They had a baseball theme at their reception, and, and hey, the, he's a deacon in the church now. He wanted to surprise me by signing up for that retreat, and we just had a great time. It's such a cool thing to, to be in a place where you can influence people for the Lord. It's just something fulfilling about that. I got an email from a guy that was at the retreat, and I just want to read it to you. This guy was a Michigan fan. Uh, he was a Jeep guy. He wrote, hi, my name is Tom. Primary reason I'm writing is I want to get your study notes from the messages that you preached this weekend. Secondly, I want to say thank you for coming up. Among others, I'm sure you were the reason, I was the reason you came. Nearly every single talking point that you hammered and nailed on me, that's kind of not how I saw it, but you know, that you hammered and nailed me right between the eyes it's like you were watching my life uh, to unfold for the past few months, and you finally said, nope, it's time to reset, Tom. I'm going to call you out on some things. Now, I don't know if my life is just that predictable or if it's simply a God thing that those talking points came together in one series like that for me, but I have got some work to do. At the risk of just repeating back all of your entire series, I'm going to end this by saying thank you so much. God spoke through you to me. Can you imagine how that makes me feel? Instead of burning my time cleaning the garage yesterday, God let me speak into a guy's life and help him. And then he says, God spoke through you to me. Lastly, if you and your son ever want to go jeeping with my boys, we're up for it. And then he said, deepest regards for your Buckeyes. Uh, go blue. So the dude really needs Jesus, right? I mean, that's obvious. I just thought to myself, you know, we went up to Traverse City, and that's one of the prettiest places in Michigan, you know, Leelanau Peninsula and M22. We went to Empire, and we hiked out to the lake, and we went to Pyramid Point, we hiked out, and we found the coffee spot, and we had coffee a couple times. We found a neat little restaurant. We found an awesome bookstore. We puttered around this little indie bookstore. It was a perfect fall weekend. Kyle was there. Two of my grandsons were there. It was a perfect fall weekend in Michigan. And over and over again, we said, wasn't it just a perfect weekend? But then we agreed, if we had gone up into the pinky of the mitten, and if we had 
gone up M22, and if we'd have looked at all the colors, it wouldn't have been so fulfilling, because we, but we got to talk with men across the table. We got to influence people for a Do you realize you can have the keys to your own ministry? Do you realize you can influence people forever? Do you realize there are people out there that you can have a powerful, spiritual, eternal influence on them? That's why it's worth it to go through what you have to go through to follow Jesus, because there's no way in the world that, that you can be compensated in a better way than you get to influence people. And the second thing there is you, get, you gain an eternal reward. That's what the Bible says. You will not lose your reward. There will be an eternal, did you hear me? Eternal reward. Sometimes people say, God didn't answer my prayers. No, no, no. God didn't answer your prayers yet. You say, well, it doesn't pay to serve Jesus. It doesn't pay yet. Going to, you're going to see that, that God will not be your debtor, right? In this life, he'll give you fulfillment. In this life, he'll give you satisfaction. In this life, he'll give you meaning. In this life, he'll give you purpose. In this life, he'll give you joy. In this life, he'll give you gifts. In the next life, forever, rewards that no one will ever take away from you. And you get to send them on up ahead in an account that, you know, it can, it can never lose interest. How beautiful is that? The other day I'm in the garage, and I keep cleaning the garage and cleaning the garage and, and organizing the garage, and I stumbled on a, a piece of equipment that Lois wanted for years. I remember years ago she was doing scrapbooking, and there was a light. Is that called a mott light? Those are called a mott? Don't remember. Anyway, there was a light. What was that called? What was that light called? There was a special kind of light. I remember that Lois uh, was doing this craftbooking thing, a, a craft scrapbooking thing, scrapbooking. I remember that, you know, meant a lot to her. And she's taking a picture of our family, and she's, you know, cropping them, and she's putting a little thing. It's just really beautiful. It meant a lot to us, and it meant a lot to her. And I remember at that time, I didn't really have very much money to work with either, and she wanted this special light. I don't know if you remember this, but I do. And uh, really for weeks, I thought, how am I going to get her that light? Because, you know, it was a little expensive, but I made up my mind we we're going to find a way to get that light for her. And then uh, finally then we got the money that we needed and we made the trip and we got that nice light and she used it for a long time and then she got involved with some other things and some of our stuff is in, we moved and so it's in boxes and I found that light and when I saw the light, it's like my hands almost began to tremble and I remembered how important it was for her to have that light and how important it was for me to get her that light and the sacrifices that we were willing to make because I wanted to put a smile on her face. I wanted her to have that light. I wanted her to be happy. And I got a kick out of it because it's like a lot of things. I said, hey, honey, I found your light. It's been in a box out there for 15 years now. She said, give me that. I've been looking all over for that, which is what she said. Isn't it like that? How many things that you just, you're, you just wanted them so bad? I mean, you know, they're, they're valuable, but they're not that lasting in their value. But when you teach a Sunday school class, when you teach a little girl about Jesus, Nobody's ever going to take your reward away from you then. That's never going to get old, I promise you that. You listen to some little kid tell his Awana verses, and then years later, when you're dead and gone, those verses come back into his heart at just the right time. Can you tell me, can you put a price tag on that? And your reward is going to go out into eternity for what you did. Think about that. It's an offer of meaning and significance. That's why this is the, this is the mystery of what Jesus said when he said, follow me. Come follow me. You, you may die, but you'll never get over it. You'll lay down your life, but then you'll really have a life. That's what he, that's what he was saying. How wonderful is that? I know. And so you have this, you'll, you'll have the power of God in your life, you have an eternal reward, and of course, as I mentioned, you'll have a, 
a meaningful life. When I go to camps, I, I notice kids working at camp. I mean, working, working. We're talking like the speaker doesn't work. You know, the speaking is the greatest gig at camp. You just go up there and you have a room and you stay in your room and you study and you talk, you dangle your feet in the water and you talk with kids and you take walks and you eat food and you speak and everybody else works like crazy all around you. <laughs> it's true. They're just saying, they're doing dishes and they're just, they're staying with the campers all night. I mean, that's got to be fun, right? All night. They're staying with the campers all night. And, when, and you're eating, and, and you're eating so much. Every time you go over the window, there's some kid there, volunteer, doing the dishes. And you know what? They, they don't look like a vulgar boatman either. They're happy every time. They're volunteers, sweeping a dining hall, cutting the wood, emptying the trash, doing the dishes, singing songs. Why is that? Well, the old-timers would say, because it pays to serve Jesus, because it's fulfilling to serve Jesus, because there's joy in that, and that's a way to be fulfilled. You know, I, I heard a guy one time, he was like a, a guy that was talking about the power of stories. I heard a guy say one time that, you know, your, in your favorite movie doesn't end like this. Your, your favorite movie doesn't end with a guy with a Rolex watch driving away with a new Volvo, because that isn't going to bring a tear to your eye. Your favorite movie didn't end like that, did it? It's like, it's like bigger than that. Years ago, we were living in a little town called Fremont, and uh, it was Saturday morning, and Chuck and I decided we would take a, mo- a, a, a bike ride. So we got up kind of early in the morning. It was cool, and it was beautiful, and, and we took a bike ride. What we didn't know that morning was that there was a race going on, a foot race, um, and that it was ending down, on the downtown about where we were going to ride our bikes. And so that morning, we rode our bikes, and then you could see that the road was blocked off, so we stopped. And it was a small town, so a lot of the people that were in the race were people that we knew. And they were, you know, amateur runners. And it was a distance race. I think it was going to be a 10K, so we're talking over six miles of running for the average person. It's kind of a lot of running. And, And Chuck and I just sit there on our bikes, and we watched people finish that race. Some of them we didn't know. Some of them, it looked like it took everything they had to finish the race. And then some of them were really strong, and they were pushing at the end, and they were going faster, and they were passing people. Some of them were little kids, and some of them were old people. And, we're, and Chuck and I are just sitting there watching this race, and after a while I realize that I'm crying like a baby. And I look over at Chuck, and Chuck is crying. And we look at each other like, what's going on here? We're watching people finish their race. We're watching people pour out their last bit of energy. We're watching the end, you know, when they cross the finish line, after they've gotten up morning after morning alone in the cold fog and dark, and they went out and they did their training runs, and then on Saturday morning they did their long runs, and they deprived themselves of things to eat, and they scheduled around their schedule so that they could, fit, so that they could just cross that finish line. It's something about watching people cross the finish line makes me weep. And one day you and I are going to cross a great finish line with God. And there's going to be a great ceremony of reward. And we'll be in the presence of our Savior, Jesus. And we will not regret the efforts that we gave in following him. He will empower us to do it. Jesus says, follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. Trust me for your fulfillment. You won't regret it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning, I, we're going to sing before we go home, as we often do. 
but I have something really important I need to tell you, something very serious I want to say right now that I want you to listen carefully to. I don't want you to just take this as a custom. It's not a custom. I want to invite you to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to follow. I mean, I'm talking about people who hadn't before become followers of Jesus, put their faith and trust in Christ alone, repent of their sins, believe and be born again, and say, even if it costs me my life, I am going to follow you. And, and I, I know many of you would say, I'm already a follower of Jesus. How many of you would say, I am a follower of Jesus already? Raise your hand up right now. Don't look. Just raise up your hand real high. And we have hundreds of people in the room, followers of Jesus. We could turn this town right side up if we really follow him. Now, who's here that would say, not yet. I, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus, but I would like to be. Raise your hand. I'm not yet a follower of Jesus, but I would like to be. Is anybody in the house today like that? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have the Word of God and the stories of Jesus that show us that the way of fulfillment is the exact opposite of what we would normally think. That if we take up our cross and follow you, then we're going to have an eternal reward. Then we're going to have an influence. Then we're going to have a satisfying life. Help us to live that life this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand. Let's.